2: All right, it's Jay and Keith. I'm the good-looking one, in the beardy man. I don't know what you are.
0: Uh, I'm the one that's going gray prematurely. I guess that's the joy of of house hunting. That's
2: where I am. <laughs> well, that's especially in John City, coming from Fargo. How's the housing market different? Um. Well. Ooh, no, I feel like I feel like that's a, I'm not going to uh, that's know a bit of a barb that, that's a yeah. that's a band-aid we're is, not going to rip off a, today how that about a very barb question speaking of a band-aid let's rip off uh, a little band-aid from last night as we're going to be joined right off the bat men's soccer head coach David Lilly is going to join us in just a second and uh an unbelievable game to watch. Me and you watched, uh, you watched a little more than I did because I I didn't get home in time to watch the first part of it, but texting back and forth and watching. the only thing I really conclusively took from the broadcast is that 100% Louisville play Syracuse on Saturday. (laughs) That is all I got out of that broadcast. They were definitely playing Syracuse at
0: some point in the recent past.
2: It was. For sure. I mean, they're fifth in the country. I don't know if you know that. And Uh, and uh, Cole Hunter
0: made a couple of great saves early on in that match. From the bench. It, really
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot goes so that being said, I'm going to welcome in uh, David Lilly, tissue men, soccer coach. And like we're trying to do on Wednesdays now, trying to get more coaches and players and some conversation. I'm going to hit them with some hard-hitting questions uh, before we get going. Number one, coach, we went through a um, – I don't know how to word this. We went through the the uh, Braxton Myers, whatever it's called. Is that what it's called?
3: Personality. Yeah, we whatever personality. The, Bri- yeah. the uh, Briggs, Myers- whatever. Briggs. Who cares? Yeah, that's it. I almost said Briggs and Stratton. That's yeah, not Briggs,
2: right. Whatever it was. And so Black and Decker? No. We, we got put in the same group, and I don't know if you know this, I'm an extrovert, uh, in case people didn't know, and and David is an introvert. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we got in a conversation, and my question to the introverts is, why why do you not like us? And then... And, and, uh, then we weren't supposed to word it that way, so I, we worded it differently, and, and uh, you know, why don't you disagree, and, and then, you know, David's like, well, I, I like to just sit and listen, and, you know, I, I just I just kind of let you go, so what I've learned is all my soccer takes, he has not told me that they're stupid. <laughs> and that I shouldn't feel that way, and he's just been very nice to me because he's an introvert, and he doesn't want to break my heart that I don't know soccer, which is why I got Keith here. Uh, Coach, your thoughts Silent that? judgment. That,
3: Silent judgment. That's, that's not true. That's not true. I know you guys know your soccer.
2: Yeah, so it, that being said, as I joke to start the broadcast to get things going here, or the podcast, I should say, uh, I want to start with your first tenure because you spent a lot of time here as an assistant under mm-hmm. two great head coaches, and what – was your time here as an assistant and how did that help you become a head coach at Milligan and then come back here at ETSU? Oh it was
3: massive. Um, I wasn't even sure that um, coaching was the career for me until I got to to ETSU and worked under Scott Calabrese and um, he was incredible for four years. He worked at UNC and at Clemson and set high standards um, to win national championships. And it was kind of a fire hose, learning by a fire hose. Um, so uh, that was an incredible four years. And then, obviously, Scott went on to FIU and UCF and then got to work with, with Bo. And he was incredible as well for different reasons. Um, he, he obviously learned his trade at Wake Forest and Penn State and South Florida. So in those eight years, I got to learn a ton um, and then got the chance to kind of put my take on it at Milligan and, and obviously now here at ETSU again, which has been real nice.
2: Yeah, and you go from obviously the the Division One budget to an Division Two to backup, or maybe they're Division One now, but back up to uh, NCAA, and then what's sort of the the hardest part of of kind of making the transition back up, and and obviously whenever you come in as a new coach, there's obviously things you have to address, whether it's recruiting, whether it's scheduling, it's all different things. Just talk about sort of that transition.
3: Oh, yeah. So we um, we we had to learn quite a lot. It's been obviously the first year. Uh, we're trying to learn the guys, get to know the guys, trying to get back in. There's actually not been one recruit um, that's been here since I've left. So it's been a clean four years. So getting to know these guys, getting to know the scheduling, um, we, we decided to add three ACC teams pretty late to the schedule just so the guys can get familiar with the top programs and what it feels like to be in those Kind of meaningful games, um, and there's no bad teams at this level, so <laughs> we're learning that pretty quick. Um, sometimes you, you, when you're in the, the NAI you come up against some unbelievable teams that could compete against anyone in the country, and then the, there might be a little bit of drop off. Then there's no drop off um, for the most part here. Um, so just getting to know everyone's organised, you've got to be very good to beat these teams, or if you have a bad day, you could lose any game in the Division One. So um, it's been exciting to be back and, and learn all this again.
0: You learned obviously a lot from Scott about tactics. You learned about motivation and, and just being a leader of men from from Bo. What did you learn on your own as the head coach of the Buffs <laughs> that you bring back to to ETSU?
3: Uh, honestly, I think I'm 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 figuring out myself what it is that um, my take was. I think I'm somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. I think I I love tactics. And I, I love being prepared. I like to be over-prepared and, and um, I like to try and switch things up in the heat of a game and, and try and get one over and try and play it like a chess match at times. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean anything if the guys aren't motivated and it doesn't mean anything if they don't feel like uh, there's a game plan there that they can they can be positive and, and go out and get a result and perform well. The tactics mean absolutely nothing. Um, so I think... Um, I've kind of hit that sweet spot right in the middle from working under both of them. Um, and, and my personality is to try and be positive and, and to try and uh, encourage them to be their best version of themselves. So um, applying the tactical side the motivation side to that is, is kind of my take on it now.
0: You wanted the identity of this team, you told me, before the VMI game. Uh, you wanted them to be extremely unpleasant to play against. You wanted to make sure nobody wants to draw ETSU. And, I, I mean, you've gone on the road this past week and you've played to a 1-1 draw with two very, very good sides, uh, nationally ranked teams, number 23 and then number 11. And, yeah, I mean, you would have loved to have not conceded those goals and, and gotten wins, but do you think that your team is embracing the identity of being a team that nobody wants to play against, being a team that causes problems, being a team that's difficult to break down? I,
3: th- I think they're embracing it. And um, it's a very simple method of looking at it the the guys are working extremely hard they they want to press teams they want to get teams under pressure but they also are willing to get in their low block and be really hard to beat when things aren't going well um and that's a quality that is pretty rare um to, to have teams that are just willing to roll up their sleeves and no matter what's going on dig it out if it's not going their way or have the quality to go forward when they feel like they've got the confidence to do so so i think Um, We went through ups and downs at the start of the year. I I think we started off really motivated, excited by things, and then we got a punch in the mouth at Presbyterian. Um, And then we we went through three, four games where we didn't score a goal. We had to kind of reinvent ourselves a little bit and get back to basics. And I think we went on a stretch the last four or five games where they understand the game plan clearly. Um, They're working hard for each other. They feel like they could probably face anyone in the country right now and be in the game and maybe sneak Sneak something from it, and that's a good place to be as a starting block. Um, And obviously we're looking to have more quality as as time goes on. But I think right now the guys are working exceptionally hard, and it's really exciting right now because they they feel bought in.
0: And uh, you certainly have some quality at the top right now with with Tariq Ponholzer and, and Gabby Ramos who I know can play just about anywhere for you but you really like what he brings <laughs> in 40 found the back of the net last night in Louisville yep. uh, the guy I want to ask you about though is Kieran Richards yep I believe he is still leading the Southern Conference in goals he's leading the Southern Conference in points um, and this guy just plays the game with so much passion sometimes he's right on the edge but <laughs> you rather have that guy you have to rein in than coach up and how valuable is it to have that guy right in the middle of everything you know pressing the back line setting all of the 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 everywhere everybody's supposed to be how important is it to have a guy that brings that kind of energy and passion to that center forward role to set the the tone for your team it's incredible
3: um obviously i said this it's first year getting to know the individuals and kieran is one that um, maybe at the start i saw a ton of emotion but it might not have been channeled in the right ways mm-hmm. and he's just found a way to channel it into being the best teammate he can the best forward he can um, he's scoring goals for fun right now he's very confident but you've nailed it in the head the, the biggest thing he's doing right now is he is setting the tone for all the defensive work and he's leading from the front um so when the guys see him pressing and chasing and, and doubling down and protecting the midfield um i think that sets the tone for the team and he's not the only one he's uh, all the forwards have really set the tone for that this this year um and kian kian wants to be involved in the build-up he wants to come back to pick it up and we've had to talk to him a little bit but just stay high stay in the box because he's very good in and around the goal um, but he's been excellent this year. He's been very, very good. As, as have several other players as well.
0: Who's the player that's grown the most for you since you got here in the spring? And why is it Eve Chuya? Eve's <laughs> <I'm> <a, laughs> he was incredible <laughs> last night. Like the way he worded yeah, it. I it? <laughs> 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 yeah, I was
3: trying to rack my head. at Several guys, obviously, Eve's is must be, if not uh, one of the top ones, the top one of of the year so far. Mm-hmm. And coming in, um, he was he was good when when we arrived. A good player, a good kid. And he just is like a sponge, he just absorbs everything, gets better every day and he's got a very humble attitude, works hard, he's a great 1v1 defender um he covers well he's tactically keeping improving and he's he's covered last last night he blocked one off the line I couldn't believe it was uh it trick- was awesome it was trickling for the line and it looked like it was going in I thought here we go it's 1-1 and he he managed to slide a, from come across the field and slide to take it out so he that's the common place he's he's got into this year He's been uh, he's been rock solid for us and uh he's only getting better
2: uh, we're talking with David Lilly headman soccer coach at ETSU here on the Jay and Key show and Coach, I, I that play, they went to review, and I just thought, man, you're on the road. You never know how that's going to go. But clearly, uh, even with the bad angles they had, you could yeah. tell that Chuyop was able to get that uh, out. Talk about goalkeeping because yeah. – I've watched six, seven games, and it just seems like no matter who you put in net, they seem mm-hmm. to make plays. I don't know if they're ch- channeling the inner Bo Shani in them or what they're doing. <laughs> one of the MLS top fifty, whatever player, one hundred fifty, whatever it. he was on that list a while ago. Yeah. But uh, just talk about the the two uh, net
3: keepers. Absolutely. Um, so Cole Hunter um, has been here for uh, for a couple of years now, and he's a he's a senior leader on the team. And he's had an excellent year in goal and he just keeps putting his body on the line and making big saves for us and, and getting us over the finish line with some results. He was a bit little banged up um, this week and um, and Mark has been training really well. Mark Coadio, um, he's um, coming this year from, from Dayton and, and played at Monteverde Academy in Florida and um, he's just... The goalkeeper position is so tough. There's not a ton of rotation in goalkeeper. It's hard to m- to mix and match it. And Cole's just been so solid this year. And he's got the experience and he's got some trust from being here in the spring. So Mark's been in a tough spot in terms of, obviously, he, he wants to play. He's used to playing in Division 1. Um, and he's been real patient. And he got his chance last night. And I thought he smashed it. And he played real well. And, and obviously, we've got Andrew Prescott, who's uh, who's also there, who's training real hard as well. So we've got we've got three good goalkeepers right now knocking on the door.
0: Uh, Cole had a great. I mean, he stopped a penalty and just read it perfectly against Greensboro. It was yep. really, really awesome to watch. He also wears a face shield. <laughs> yeah. I believe that is a hard lesson learned yeah. from earlier this year.
3: And that's it. he. Uh, he was playing at UNC, and um, we, we, we've been talking to him about just making sure he's communicating with the back line. And, and this one time, he he didn't communicate properly, clashed with uh, with Dom Foster. And he's got himself a face mask now. And I was joking with him the other day. If he keeps playing like he did against UNCG, we might need to start selling these to the kids in town uh, <laughs> to play like Batman um, when, when they're playing in the local games. Um, so he's he's been great. Even with the face mask and the injuries, he puts his body on the line and he keeps coming through a uh, big time for us yeah,
0: if there's one guy you don't want to run into blindsided mm-hmm. it's dom foster
3: no <laughs> no he's pretty hard-headed that's that's a uh,
0: pretty that's a pretty unpleasant experience you're no for you. no
3: if I, if I could choose one person not to collide with it would probably be dom so
0: well it's interesting david because you bring in i mean etsu is is always embraced international students particularly in athletics you think about the cross-country program and the tennis program the soccer program has been a big part of that as well um and i mean A lot of these guys come from other parts of the world and they don't know ETSU from Louisville frankly Um, how do you get them invested as somebody that has done this gone this path yourself of coming over Mm -hmm. playing in the collegiate system getting invested in an American university an American experience how do you bind all of these international players together into a cohesive culture
3: yeah I mean I would like to say that it's a a lot of hard work it's pretty organic honestly like I I came over um, in a similar situation we had Maybe 15, 16 internationals on my college team, and um, as, uh, if the if the if the environment is there, the training environment's there, and and uh, the guys genuinely care about each other, you just start to become a family together, and and you start to to go into these games and and battle together, and you just get stronger with with more adversity that comes, and I think you can see that start to happen now. We had our wobbles early in the year. And we're just getting used to each other. Some some new kids coming in, some freshmen coming in, some local kids, some transfers some international. And I think now um, after the UNC game, after that kind of stage of the season, you're starting to see the group really mesh together. And, and no matter what adversity happens in the game now, they're getting tighter together.
0: And I saw on Twitter after the Louisville game last night, that uh, Ryan Coulter was tweeting about. The oh he's, yeah. I didn't realize he's the goalkeepers coach for FC Cincinnati now. Absolutely. And between him and, and Schoenfeld who played all over the world. I mean, he played in Israel. He played all over MLS. Like he's been a, a lot of different places. You know, there are a lot of guys that have gone on to have success in the game beyond ETSU how important do you think it is for younger players or players that are just now coming into the program to see that and and to interact with those guys up close oh
3: it's so special and uh, when I first arrived at ETSU we didn't have alumni right it was just it was a it was a pretty early stage in the program so this is, this is coming back this time around, it's been really special to, to connect with alumni and obviously you've had the incredible career of Shaw and Coulter and you've got many others, uh, Cam Woodfin, Charlie, Johnny Campbell, some other ones that have gone on and, and, and played professional. Um, but yesterday Ryan Coulter took the time to come and speak to the guys and um, explained how he, um, how positive his experience was at ETSU and just to embrace the moment and I think that was setting the tone for the Louisville game. Um yeah and and aside from the fact he was a very good goalkeeper and our goalkeepers played well um i, th- I think it was really cool for the guys to hear that um, you can have a great experience in, in college and, and go on to have the career type of career that these guys are having
0: he had an unbelievable penalty shootout and i think jay's actually looking it up against oh Stetson. yeah as soon as you say that name <laughs> you yep. go to it every oh, time it's an all-timer what what was your what's your most memorable game at ETSU because I feel like I mean especially in those days the crowds were awesome, the energy was incredible, like it just it was so much fun to be around the program. That was a
3: special one you talked about and and it I, I was waiting for Ryan to bring it up. <laughs> I was waiting yesterday, I was like, how long is it going to take before he brings out that penalty shootout? And uh he didn't so I, I mentioned it, I was like, Do you remember that penalty shootout <laughs> against Stetson where mm-hmm. it went three three and your hand was in the ball at the end of the game and uh, oh he, you should have seen the smile on his face. He was loving it. So what I like about it, I can't believe
2: I forgot this date. It was 11-11-11. Yep. November 11, 2011 It's the one. The only thing I remember, we got done playing basketball, uh, preseason game in the dome, uh, and I went to the studio. And John Stevens on the call, and then or maybe were you on the call? I was on the call. You were night. on the call. John was on the video camera. Yep. And I text John, I'm like, "Am hey, I going to come over?" Because no, no, you can't, because we're very superstitious. <laughs> and he's like, "You can't do it." So I had to sit there instead of <laughs> driving over. I watched the whole penalties sitting on delay. So I'm getting text. you know, the early days where he said not like a minute and a half behind of the goals going in, and then I had to sit and watch. And they're like, save. I'm like, what happened? So then I knew what was well, gonna happen, going to happen. But up. I remember sitting there, I'll never forget that, and I wasn't allowed to go. So you're welcome for getting you the win because I didn't go out there. <laughs> and what we do matters, Coach, on that. Uh, speaking of winning, uh, you got a chance, homecoming, uh, you're gonna play at noon. ETSU football be at 3:30. We've been pumping. Hey, while you're there, you got alumni. Yep. Uh, homecoming. You got a chance in lot 22 to make a lot of noise to watch your matchup of Furman. Two mm. conference matches left. Furman and Mercer and a chance still to secure either the one or two seed and have some sort of home field advantage in SoCon tournament.
3: Absolutely. And uh, I mean, the goals at the start of the year, um, obviously, it's easy to get ahead of yourself. And and the the message I've been sending the guys right now is we're not going to win the conference championship on Saturday. We're not going to lose the conference championship on Saturday. What they get a chance to do is, is guarantee top three, which was a minimum goal for our guys at the start of the year. And um, and depending on other results, they can finish top two. And then if we happen to put ourselves in a position to go to Mercer and win a conference championship, then we'll we'll um, we'll take that as it comes. But we need to get over the finish line against Farman and see if we can guarantee our minimum goals of the year and finish in the top half of the conference.
2: All right, coach. We appreciate the time. Uh, look forward to watching your squad play on Saturday. I'm actually going to sit up in the third floor. Um, of the tower because I got a great angle of it. So I've already (laughs) talked to a a couple of my broadcast crew mates. We're going to sit up there and enjoy that as we get ready for our broadcast. But good luck, too. We'll be pulling for you. Uh, Good luck rest of the way, my friend.
3: Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Keith Show rolling along, and we are into gridiron football, back into gridiron football. I got the chance to talk with the star running back for the ETSU football program, the redshirt senior, Jacob Sailors, SoCon Preseason Offensive Player of the Year, and a fantastic conversation. Well, Jacob, it's great to see you, man. Uh, how are you doing? I mean, you, you've been you've been around this campus. You probably know it like the back of your hand by this point. Uh, uh, how you doing? How you feeling uh, as we get into the the backstretch of a really grueling college football season?
1: You know, I'm doing well. Obviously, not <clears throat> sitting where the team would like to be. You know, um, unfortunately, but still grateful to have an opportunity. You know, week week in a week out to get better and just play with my guys and um. You know like you said it I have been on campus for a while and I do know a lot of people. I know it very familiar. But um you know there just seems you know it's a great community. It's a great place. You know every every time I step on campus, you know it I just see something that that just reminds me why I'm here.
0: Yeah, it's I mean I I mean I was class of 13. I came back and it's it's so different now. How wild has it been to watch this place transform with the football program in the middle of it.
1: You know it's it's been special. You know um there's many ways to describe it, but special is definitely the first one that I would say, um, you know, just seeing the community just grow and grow and just come to come closer over time as well. You know, it's just a, it's a great thing to be a part of.
0: It was so challenging for a new program to win people over. And you guys did that. I mean, you look up in the stands, Green Stadium, it's usually pretty packed. I mean, there's, there's been some great atmospheres, great crowds, lots of support. What's that mean to you? as a guy who was kind of right there in the mix of, of the very first few days and years of the relaunch of this program that, uh, you know, the community has rallied behind you guys as you've had success.
1: You know, it's a it's a great feeling, man. And uh, it, it goes to show you, you know, that the university was in the right with bringing the program back and just showing how uniteful that it can be for a community like Johnson City, Tennessee, where, like you said, we have... Stand, uh, fans come and pack the stands, you know, every week, every home game, and, you know, I'm just grateful to be part of a college that has that type of fan base.
0: Is that consistent with your experience in football, that it's a community event, like it's something that you go to, whether it's a, you know, Thursday or a Tuesday night in middle school, Friday night, high school, Saturday, college, whatever. Is, is that something that you've just kind of always... Fallen into is football as as a community,
1: without a doubt. I come from a small city, you know, in Jasper. Not not a large popu- population there, but um, on Friday nights when high school games gets going, it, the community oh, comes yeah. out and shows. You know, just it, it it feels it feels a lot like a home away from a home for me. You know, Johnson City's a small city, but it's a lot bigger than what I'm used to. But it just has that small town home feel, and um, you know, I, I feel like. Support at football games and winning, it goes hand-in-hand hand with one another. You know, when you win, you know, if people come out, they want to watch that type of stuff. And I've been fortunate to be part of a, a winning program in high school and in college, you know, and and being part of those great communities, the great fan bases. It's, it's just been a pleasure, honestly.
0: As you've gotten into, the, I mean, this point of your college career, as a running back, we talk all the time in the pros about how guys just kind of seem to have a shelf life at, at that position where your body goes through so much wear and tear. You take more hits than anybody on the football field. And by the time you're 30, it's like your, your shoulders are about to fall off. Your knees are <laughs> worn out. I mean, you're obviously not to that point yet. But um, how do you take care of yourself after taking so many hard hits from so many big, powerful dudes in Division One football?
1: You know, I'd like to start off by saying I'm very thankful and fortunate to have a running back coach like Coach Downs and uh, even Coach Sanders the past couple of years. It's guys that have a ton of experience, you know, with a, a ton of talented people, especially at the running back position. And um, coming into East ETSU, I didn't have much background in rehab or trainers and stuff like that. You know, we hardly stretched before practice in high school. And, um, you know, when I got here, I stayed kind of banged up the first two years because I was still trying to make that adjustment. But I believe last year, the spring season and going into last last season was a real mind opener for me. And I I started spending a ton of hours in the training room. And we have a great trainer and Caitlin, and she's helped me write up some great rehab plans on um you know whatever I have going on. You know um, turf toe, banged up shoulder, banged up thumbs, whatever it is. Caitlin's willing to, to spend time outside of her work and come up with a great plan for me. And, you know, just I, I have to meet her 50-50, you know, I have to show up and I have to be willing to to do whatever she asked me to do. And that's that's where it all starts really is just getting into treat, treatment, getting with your trainer and working out a great plan for yourself, you know.
0: What's the toughest thing you've ever played through? I mean, there's obviously injuries that you just can't go, but what's the toughest thing you've ever had to play through?
1: Um, turf toe was a pain, but I would honestly say, um, I I sprained my ankle pretty, pretty badly in the spring season, and, um, I was out for two weeks, and I, Mm -hmm. I came back the last game of the season against Mercer, ironically enough, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, (laughs) yeah, and I, I was able to come in, you know, the second half of the last game of the season, and, and I wasn't, um, healthy by by any means but coach Downs gave me opportunity and it was a fun game I came in and made a couple of exciting plays for the team
0: how important is it to be able to know the difference between I can play through this and I can't go because there are moments where if you're trying to play through something that is clearly hampering you that that can hurt the team more than you being out
1: absolutely and you know I think that comes with a level of maturity you know, um, I've kind of experienced that throughout the years, just being able to be real with my coach and tell him, you know, um, coach, you know, um, so-and-so so is better than me right now. You know, I'm okay. just not on the top of my A game. And I believe, you know, it's in the best best interest for the team, you know, to put, put somebody else in that position. And I have been I, – I have had to do that before.
0: How much do you try to pass on that wisdom to younger guys like Bryson Irby? As, as I mean, they're the next generation, right? They're the future. Someday you're not going to put on the 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 E anymore. You're going to be doing something else. Uh, hopefully, you're putting on a, a helmet with a different logo on it. But, um, you know, how do you, how much do you try to impart what you've learned to those guys so that they don't have to learn it the hard way like you did?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I try to every day. And, yeah. um, you know, outside of football, um especially inside of football, on the practice field. Any any opportunity that I see a chance to store, you know, any bit of wisdom or anything like that in these younger guys, I try to pour into them as much as possible just because that's the type, type of person I am and that's the type of um, coach that uh, Coach Downs is and he has instilled those type of morals in me, you know, since I've been here.
0: When, how often do you talk to Quay? Because, I mean, you two were the dynamic duo for many people. Like, that was, like, it was you and Quay and Austin Herrick. is like, many people's first formative memories of the Revive program. Um, and that was such a fun group to watch because you every single one of you played so hard and played for each other. But how, how close are, are you and Quay after so many years playing together?
1: Um, not as close as most people would um probably assume we definitely have that mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so never really formed that relationship in the three or four years that Quay was here, you know?
0: Yeah. How much did you compete for reps? And, like, like, is, the, is that is that something that, like, that competition sinks in? It's like, I'm not going to talk to you. You're going head-to-head head with me for playing time.
1: You know – um, I never try to look at situations like that, even now with Bryson Irby. Like, I'm always encouraging him. Any mm-hmm. time I see anything in his game, even in um just running back drills, if I can see anything, any part of his game that I can help fix, I'm a fix, you know? And um unfortunately, I, I feel like that's where the difference between mine and the younger guy's relationship is with, compared to, you know, Quay and our relationship as mm-hmm. I, I was a younger guy. I, I can't speak on, you know, what how he viewed the situation, but um I didn't very throughout those four years there was definitely competition, you know, yeah. even without anybody having to say it, you know, just competing like you said, competing for the reps, knowing that it, it was me and him, you know, that was that it was gonna come down to um getting a start or getting a series, you know. Um it's very competitive, but I feel like coach Downs did a great job, you mm-hmm. know, at um just coaching us and 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 just maturing us into running backs mature running backs mature football players to you know just do what's best for the team
0: and that's I mean that's natural for people right it, it's it's almost it's harder to do what you're talking about doing now with the young guys and and with coach downs and, and you're sort of overriding that sense of I have to be better than this guy to try to make the whole group better um how much of a Priority has that been for you this year, especially coming to the end of your college career, getting ready to to move on to whatever's next, to make sure that that these guys can carry on the legacy that that you, the group you've been part of for so long is built.
1: Absolutely, like you said, um, I was part of it, you know, from somewhat from the beginning coming in uh 2018, and I I, I pride myself heavily on on the success of this program and the um the the foundation of this program and you know i I try to instill it in every single one of these young players you know on a daily basis um just showing them you know what it takes and not everybody is willing to do what it takes you know there's a lot of a lot of things that a lot of people don't want to do a lot of people want to take the easy way and unfortunately if you want to be successful at the at this game you you got to take the long way
0: i'm sure you had some opportunities to go other places and we don't have to get into the minutia of it but um, why come back to ETSU for one more year after everything that you were able to achieve here? A lot of people feel like you have nothing left to prove. Um, what was it that drove you to come back to Johnson City one last time?
1: I feel like this is just what God had in store for me. You know, from, from coming out of high school, I did not have much going on um, being recruiting wise. Uh, I went to this All Star game late February. It was I, I believe it was like a week or two before signing day, and I went there thinking that I was going to sign to a division. Uh, up until the time I had planned on signing to a division two or division three program, I was still contemplating which one was the right fit. And um, luckily, I uh, crossed paths with some great coaches in that Border Bowl game with uh, Coach Black from Fulton and some uh, coaches from Bristol High and Whitehaven High School out in. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and they, um, you know, they were kind of shocked that I didn't have much going on recruiting-wise, and um, before the All-Star Game even happened, I believe it was the second day of practice, um, one of them called Coach Sanders up on the phone, and I didn't even know who Coach Sanders was at the time. He was like, come here, um, Coach Sanders from ETSU, the head coach, wants to talk to you on the phone, and I got on the phone with him, and uh, he kind of just talked to me a little bit about um, However, he's been seeing it, seeing my name a whole lot recently, mm-hmm. and uh, he wanted to come down and see me, and also get me up on a visit. and um, And I came up here. You know, I fell in love with the place. This reminded me, like a bigger scale, Jasper, Tennessee. You know, a lot, lot more opportunities, but still, you know, you're you have a tight knit community. And um, after that, I just always felt like God brought me here. You yeah. know. None of none of the success that I would I'm having would be possible without God. First of all, the coaches that I've crossed paths with, and the great teammates that I've had a pleasure of playing with, and you know I just never want to take God's blessings for granted. And I, I feel like that had a large part to do with me coming back.
0: It uh, it doesn't hurt to be able to walk out the front door and see Buffalo Mountain in all its splendor. <laughs> um, I know that the record isn't what you guys want it to be, and everybody knows that. Everybody's on in agreement that. We want to win more games. We're close to winning more games. It's been one or two plays several different times that just haven't broken our way. Um, How do you regroup, refocus for the second half of the year to make sure that A, you guys are still having fun and B, that you can turn those one or two plays around for you and, and start winning some football games to finish the year strong?
1: You know, I feel like that just comes with never being satisfied and obviously is we have no reason to be satisfied so you know day in day out we try to just focus on on getting better for that day and focusing on the task i at hand and you know just want to mature in each position and um learn those little details that you know will will make that one play go our way in the future you know and just just focusing on the little things and getting back to some of the basics but at the same time not taking our foot off the gas at all in practice and, you know, continuing to compete, continuing to have that energy. You know, it's hard to when, you know, you're the seasons, not what everybody had anticipated, but, you know, I feel like you're, you know, at this point of the season, you get to see what a lot of the guys on the team are made of, you know, as individuals, their character, you know, um, I believe this, this game and any sport is a huge game that um, can compare to life in many many ways and uh and I think this situation will mature help the team mature overall and you know for the rest of their lives if they let it
0: absolutely ETSU running back Jacob Saylor is going to be a big part of the success this team has in the second half of the year and uh, hopefully his legacy is a big part of the success they have well beyond this Jacob it's great to sit down with you man thanks so much for giving us some time and uh, keep grinding out there been really fun to watch you
1: absolutely thank you for the opportunity
0: That's Jacob Saylor's great conversation, great young man, and uh, excited to see what he does in the second half of the year.
2: It's uh, interesting things every time you get to talk to players, especially how they came, their journey, what they've learned, especially uh, older players it's been able to reflect. You know, he didn't really talk about it a whole lot, but I I thought it was interesting that he was really a defensive back. Yeah. And then it wasn't quite working out, and then they said, hey, you know, maybe try – running back was working as a scout teamer and hit several big runs, and the defensive staff said, hey, maybe maybe you should look at this guy on offense. And it was early enough in the camp, and sure enough, the rest is history. And there's a lot of stories like that for a lot of players, even mm-hmm. at ETSU, but I always find that interesting when a, a guy starts maybe a week or two in fall camp uh, you know, working under uh, a different position, and then somebody sees something, they try them somewhere else, and it just kind of clicks.
0: And I think you see a lot of that across FCS. I mean, just from my experience in Fargo, There was Marquise Bridges, started out as a wide receiver, converted to corner, and was a really, really good, you know, bruiser, ball hawk, corner. And then Cody Mauk was a wide receiver in high school, came to college as a tight end. They put him in the development program and he just the weight just kept coming. So like, okay, we're gonna put you at tackle. And now he's a left tackle and he's probably going on day two of the NFL draft. So it it, it's never it's always like you can come in thinking this is gonna be
2: what I do. And then it doesn't work out that way. Well, it's all about opportunities, right? And who gets the opportunity to go out and play, and if they're willing to do it. And we've seen it. Jawan Martin was a yep. linebacker. We saw Artavia Smith played running back and receiver, then turns himself into an all league safety. And then now Jacob Saylor started there. So you see how this goes. But I thought very interesting conversation. Again, you know, talking to David Lilly earlier, uh, and then certainly talking. Um, uh, with Jacob Sailors, you know we'll try to do this more on Wednesdays, but we still yeah. got more stuff to talk about, and we're going to talk a little playoff talk right here. Yeah, so
0: I am—I guess I'm kind of on this path now, of of adv- the SoCon expansion advocate. I, I guess I don't know. Maybe that's what I am. Um, I don't really want to beat that drum necessarily, but I do think it's something that people should have all the information about. So S
2: so, E A is that what you're going with the SoCon? I am the C expansion. Yes. Yes. Admitter. We should
0: change we should change the name of the podcast to The Old Man in the Sea.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: There
0: All you go. Right, just making sure. Yeah. Um so I laid out my case for an expanded SOCON and an unbalanced schedule. And I did that on the pod on Monday, and um someone replied to me when I laid out kind of the case said they would prefer to have a champion that earns it on the field and not have the schedule maker um basically determined a champion which happens in the big sky right we uh, i've joked for years that uh, the big sky has a scheduling powerball and if you win that powerball schedule you uh you get a really easy path or favorable path anyway not necessarily easy but favorable path to the playoffs um i would buy into that line of thinking if the SOCON were getting a bunch of outright champions or significantly more outright champions than the other conferences. And I went and looked, and since 2012, so the last 10 championships that have been awarded to each conference, uh, the Southern Conference has six outright champions in the last 10 seasons. One, two team tie, and three, three team ties where you had to go to some sometimes fairly convoluted tiebreakers Determine points
2: allowed was one of them one year.
0: Yeah, uh, the CAA has seven outright champions in that time, seven in the CAA, one two team tie, one three team tie, and one four team tie. The big sky has five outright champions, three two team ties, and two three team ties. And the Missouri Valley Football Conference has six outright champions, all of which were North Dakota State, three two team ties, and one three team tie. That was in the spring of 2021, where UND got a share because they were. Four and one, they played one less game than everybody else, but they had the same number of losses. So they gave UND a co-championship, and UND declared themselves a champion. So I mean, you're not really getting any benefit from having it decided on the field, and you're hurting, again, those third and fourth and fifth teams that are trying to get into the playoffs.
2: Playing a balanced schedule ends up hurting them. That reminds me of the Atlantic Sun Conference in 2010, 9-10, mm-hmm. and um, there were four Way tie for the regular season champion. That's right. And then the fifth seed was ETSU, and they won the tournament champion. So yep. five teams claimed on their media guides, SoCon champions. None of them said co. SoCon champions. Of course, ETSU won the tournament. Yep. And they all bought rings. There were f- champions. Five, yeah. five of the A. Sorry, yep. A-Sun champions. Five of the eight teams <laughs> had rings yeah. that said, you know, A-Sun champions. And so so it, it reminds me of that. Yeah, it ultimately makes no difference. It, if you want to – and I get – listen, the SoCon has been staunch, and I, I've talked about it at nauseum before. Keith has come on the podcast for years, but I've talked about this. The, the They so want the balanced schedule. Everybody plays eight. Everything's equal. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody has the same number of home games and all that stuff, and that's fine. I, I'm not trying to poo-poo any tradition. I'm just saying if you – in today's world, if you want to get and – and the SoCon complains about not getting enough teams in – if you had more teams and more teams had less losses, you get more teams in, more recognition for teams, possibly more wins, which in turn gives you more chances to get in the playoffs. Part of the reason SoCon hasn't had many teams in playoffs is because they've just not performed well in the playoffs. And so sure, it's hard to say we're going to give you three teams if, if all things are equal and, you know, the fifth Missouri Valley or whatever it's been in the past or CAA or name a conference and those teams all generally win a game and the Southern Conference second team never wins one or first team never wins one, it's tough to make an argument to put them in. That's why I've stated it was so important last year that ETSU were to get not just the seed, but to win that. Otherwise, it would be tougher this year for the Southern Conference champion to get a seed.
0: My counterpoint to that is that in addition to that, I guess it's not really a counterpoint, but in addition to that, the more teams you have in the playoffs, the more chances you give yourself to win a game because a lot of times... Those first round playoff games are all about matchups and who has the better personnel in key matchups and can leverage those personnel better. And that ends up being a critically important part of success or failure. We saw that with, I think, with Wofford and Kennesaw State. Wofford had a better record in the in the SOCON. and was better, I thought, on paper than Kennesaw State was in the Big South. And Kennesaw State stuck it to them because they did a better job of leveraging favorable matchups than Wofford did. And that hurt the Southern Conference. And now we are seeing a situation where these schools that are on more or less parallel tracks in big conferences, like the Big Sky, the Valley, and the CAA. In 2018, the CAA got six teams in. uh, The SOCON got two. In 2021, the Valley got six, and the Big Sky got five, and the SOCON got one. And all of these teams that chop each other up hurt ultimately their own ability to create a favorable image that will be lobbied for by certain people in the the playoff committee and you know your socon advocate has to step out of the room but the there will be other people that will look at those records that will look at 5 and 3 or 6 and 2 or even 7 and 1 and say hey you know this team went 7 and 1 in the league well they didn't play ETSU or Chattanooga. Well yeah, they still went 7 and 1 because a lot of members of the committee treat all FCS wins, or at least most FCS wins, as roughly equal. So the more opportunities you get to pile up those wins, the better off you're going to be in the committee room in November.
2: If you get seven FCS wins, they they don't look and say, well, my goodness, you won a non-conference game versus top 25. If you beat a SWAC or a MIAC or... Big that's South. an FCS win, that, that's a Pioneer
0: it. League team. Right. If you that's schedule right. Presbyterian and you win seventy-two to nothing because they never punt, they they don't do that anymore. That coach left, but you, you know you you blow them out like Mercer. Mercer beat Morehead State. What was it, sixty-three to thirteen or yeah, something? It still counts. the that's same. That's an FCS win. It,
2: it counts the same as if they beat North Dakota State. Exactly. As far as the initial matrix and having uh, Scott Carter last year. Last couple years on the committee, I was able to really talk to him, and every once in a while when it was over, he would really show me some of the numbers and the math, and um, the the math is very simple. Try to do everything you can to get to seven wins. That's why a lot of teams are not playing non-division ones anymore because it's another opportunity Mm -hmm. to get a win. And, yeah, a lot of people say, yeah, but you you turn away a surefire win. That is true, you do, but if you're able to win that non-conference game, that's an extra win. Now – if you can knock off uh, FBS, generally it's about a point and a half, if you will, on the calculator. So, you know, for a team that's maybe on the bubble, if you got that and they're like, oh, all these teams have seven wins, but they beat an FBS, then they basically treat it like seven and a half wins. Mm-hmm. They get an extra little uh, bonus there for picking up that win up and not hurt if they uh, lost that game, which makes sense. But you don't get rewarded. It doesn't do you a lot. And we'll see how the scheduling goes forward with head coach George Corals, who's at Furman, who generally did not play – uh, non-qualifying games. They generally at Furman did play, um, you know, all Division I type opponents. And Although encounters.
0: they did play one this year, this year and did. I think that lack of a data point might end up keeping them out. I am look, I'm, So I looked at Brian McLaughlin and Sam Herter, who used to work together at Hero Sports. Now, Sam is the the lead guy at Hero, and Brian does uh, Gridiron Heroics, and he's in charge of, of that site. And they both do bracketology every week. And Sam has three SoCon teams in, but he has Furman right on, the, or he has uh, Sanford right on the cut line and also has New Hampshire below it. And that's important to get to in a second. Brian has four SoCon teams in, all of Chat, Mercer, Sanford, and Furman in. And um, New Hampshire also out. New Hampshire is 4-0 and in the CAA and they don't play Delaware or William and Mary. So there's a non-zero chance that they could end up, ain't no, with the automatic bid. And that knocks Furman or Samford or possibly both out of the FCS playoffs. And we're going to end up in a situation where we all feel like the SoCon should probably, by the end of it all, probably should have three teams in, depending on how things shake out, maybe four teams in,
2: and they're probably going to end up with one or two again. That's what's, that's again goes back to my frustration on that. And, you know, it's simple to me. Uh, McLaughlin seems to be uh, a little bit more of a fan of the Southern Conference that puts more stock into it than a Craig Haley or Sam Herder, who we've had on the podcast and we've talked extensively and they've basically have said some of the things I've said. You know, until you start winning games in the playoffs, why would we treat you any differently and Absolutely. why would we give you more chances? So that's why I think it was important not just for ETSU when they got the seed to hold, serve, and win, but in reality I took a lot of a lot of people took shots at me because ETSU, you know, got beat by North Dakota State, by the final score. And I was like, hey, the whole argument was, is it Southern Conference and their champion is so inferior to the Missouri Valley. My question was, well, what was the average margin of victory at home for North Dakota State compared to ETSU?
0: I don't even know off the top of my head. Well, yeah,
2: in, in fairness, ETSU, but, yeah. ETSU, was, ETSU was below that, below mm-hmm. what the normal average of victory was. Yep. And he held them score with the first quarter. So I was like, so you're telling me that they're not as good as the fifth best team in the Missouri Valley when they're getting five in, which was my argument. My argument wasn't the Southern Conference – and the winner of the Sun Conference is North Dakota State, that's ludicrous. And I'm, you know, I know I make some weird takes on here, but I would never in a million years. That was not my conclusion (laughs) was. They keep trying to tell me that the second-best team or whatever is not as good as the fifth or sixth-best team. And my argument was, well, if your barometer was that and ETSU was below that, then couldn't they compete with all the second, third, fourth, fifth teams in the Missouri Valley? That's really my argument because – The big outlier they always point to is, well, North Dakota State. Well, Well, yeah, of course, but let's talk about all the other teams. Let's talk about how nobody goes into Fargo, you know, except for South Dakota State, who's the big rivalry. Pretty much the only one. Yes, that's it. That's it. If you look over the last decade, that's about the only one. There's an outlier here or there, but consistently that is the only team that has done it over time. Other than that, no one goes in there and does that. So my argument is the only thing I could use was, well, what's the average and just using that year and apples to apples, but then even going back and doing, like, a more deep dive over the last five, six years, mm-hmm. ETSU was still below that. So, again, that I'm not saying ETSU was on that level. That would be crazy. But I'm just saying my argument to some of the national guys who who kind of came at me just in some DMs that, you know, well, I'll just keep it between us as professionals and not call them out. But that was my argument. And they didn't really have a good comeback for that. It was like, well, we were right. And all along, So kind of, I'm like, I, that makes no sense to me because my argument wasn't that ETSU as North Dakota State. My argument is when the fifth and sixth best team is getting in and they're getting trounced by about the same as ETSU, you're telling me that ETSU can't compete with the fifth or sixth team in Missouri Valley, and to me that was ludicrous, and that was my argument. Yeah. I, I don't mean to belabor
0: this point. I feel like we kind of just – we're almost going in circles because you and I agree on this. We do. It's,
2: it, usually and we like to disagree, so it's a little more entertaining.
0: Yeah, usually we do. But also I think it's important that we, we make it clear that like the way that the SOCON wants to set up it's football schedule. The way that it sets it up, it's it's very logical. It's very straightforward. Um, it's easy it, to understand. I'll give it that. It's very easy to understand. You're not going to play any guessing games with scheduling matrices or anything like that. You're going to play everybody in the league. But that has consequences that are detrimental to trying to regain a place as a power conference in FCS football after the departures in 2013 of uh, particularly App and Georgia Southern. I mean – Elon is kind of, you know, is what it is. They had a couple of decent years since they left, but um, you've lo- you lost your two perennial powers, the programs that won you so many national championships, and the SOCON hasn't really replaced, not just the that, that level of team relative to FCS nationally, it also hasn't replaced that level of prestige and the respect you get from the committee, and I think you need to put more teams in better position to make the playoffs in order to get that respect back and i don't think this is an either or situation when you talk about cuz so many people want to talk about men's basketball and you know the the, the league's brought in a new commissioner after john marino retired that was focused on men's basketball and the league has done a fantastic job of that but I don't think it has to be either or. I think it's very much a both and with the potential that this league has that if you just take one or two very timely swings and get one or two quality ads, you can help both sports take a major leap forward. Yeah, and That's what we all want.
2: Huge fan of, of if they could add two to four. Um, and it could be two football and two non-football and you get four for basketball but with the way the scheduling models work now with all the big boys playing 20 league games and it's yep. tough to get non this game and it's tough you know, you hear it all the time with coaches and tough to get home games because everybody's trying to schedule a win and so if they don't think they can beat you or well, they're not going to go on the road unless you pay them and then then you get into well, how much money can teach you pay for a home game yep, exactly. or any school so you get into that so if you could get You know, a 14 team league where you play a north, south, east, west, whatever it is. You you get round robin on one end, you get one game on the other, Mm -hmm. you get to 20, 21 games, and that way there's more home games for those teams. And then you could still make do with a couple of money games, could still try to get some good non conference, and you could get maybe some quality uh, mid major basketball to try to, because we saw. A couple years where Wofford in 2019, if they didn't win the tournament, had a very good shot of getting an at-large bid, which mm-hmm. which Belmont did that year. Yep. And and uh, North Carolina Greensboro was the last team out because they were the number one That's seed right. in the NIT. And then the 30-4 team with ETSU, if they didn't win the tournament, then more than likely it looked like all projections had put them in. Uh, now, again, you still would have to roll the dice, wait and see – but in the same token, it seemed like that. But so you were on the cusp of doing that. If you could add some more, maybe you get there. Maybe not. Who knows if they expand to 90 plus or whatever, and you get more teams <laughs> in that way, which we've talked about. And I don't want to go down that road again. But I just feel like I'm fine. I'm not saying you have to blow up the system to blow up the system. I'm just saying my feelings aren't hurt if each, if the Southern Conference would have been a little proactive during some of the shift. And even if there's another shift coming. You don't want to be the odd man out because who's to say in a few years, maybe another league is proactive and somebody like Chattanooga that's flirted or Sanford or who knows, name another team that might be on the up and up to to move. If they go, I mean, what are you Mercer? You know, those three teams on that side. If they wanted to make a Southern Division of another league or something, and they decide to go, now the Southern Conference is teetering on. What are you going to do? My problem is, I just want to make sure they're being proactive on both sides, on basketball and football. And I agree, they don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? They can work together. You can work part. You can do whatever, but I still think they should do that. And uh, I don't know how you got me on this. I, I don't either. You want to do Say What? Let's uh, do Say What. Do you, do you think I want to do Say What? I say, think you want to do say what? Are you sure? Say yeah. what? Say, 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 say what? Okay, Stewie. All right. all right, what's up?
0: All right, this uh, first one comes from somebody that we both know
3: well. You only get 11 guaranteed opportunities on your schedule each and every year. You got to make the most of every single one of them. And I tell our guys all the time, man, I'd... I'd ride a bicycle a 1,000 miles and go play a football game. Um, and, and I hopefully that we'll take that same attitude up to Johnson City this weekend.
2: So, that is, of course, Sanford head coach I know, Chris I, Hatcher. I, yes. The funny thing is I was about to put on my glasses because I couldn't read the small writing, but then he said a word, and I was like, I know who that is. <laughs> so it took me a second on the first bite of it, but then before I even put on my glasses, I heard a word, and I'm like, that's Chris. And I'll, by the way, great interview he's he's, he's great fun Super to nice talk guy. to uh, great and honest just honest and, and talking about everything but um i'm still laughing at the word i, I what was it just <laughs> i forgot what he said i was laughing at that. Uh, oh he ride a, he'd ride a bicycle yeah, to so get he an opportunity he'd ride, a, right? he'd ride a bicycle a thousand miles to to be in a, to play in a football game yeah and, what's the farthest you would ride oof. a bicycle to playing one, none. I don't know. I want to play in any anymore. Uh, now to call a game or to watch it, I would, I would, I would ride it. You know, three miles. Cause I can't go very far. I don't know. what's well, you know, to
0: I now. would. You know, I'd walk a thousand miles if I could oh, just see go. football tonight.
1: Uh, okay. Going how, about,
0: right. uh, how about how uh, about some NBA hoops and somebody who has just been visibly miserable?
3: This guy used to be so exuberant, playing with great energy and great emotion. I think the wear and tear mentally last year, starting this year, playing with Patrick, Patrick Beverly, and the thing is, he going to get the blame no matter what because the Lakers ain't a championship contender. I think he needs a fresh start. I think the Lakers need a fresh start because they're not contenders. I admire Russell Westbrook. They are taking his entire joy out of basketball.
2: So I was curious um, – was he talking about Russell Wilson or Russell Westbrook? Russell Westbrook? Well, yeah, but I think you could almost. You could do, probably do say that for <laughs> yeah. Russell Wilson the, the, well. the memes that are coming out were like, man, now we got to put a clarifier. Are we talking about Russ or this Russ? And, yeah, uh, But, yes. Um, it's,
0: it's like Denver built its offense like it used to be in Seattle where it was run, run, pass, run, run, pass all the time. Like, why are you doing that? I thought this? we were letting him cook.
2: When at the yeah, big thought, thing, right? I we're thought le-
0: they were going to let him cook. Yeah, and cook and, him. Uh, Nathaniel couldn't hack it. But, oh, um, nice, r- yes, Chuck talking about
2: Russell Westbrook Say the Lakers have stolen his joy from playing the game of basketball. I wish every week you could give me a Chris Hatcher and a Charles Barkley quote back-to-back. There's just nothing more I enjoy of listening to either guy. Uh, <laughs> Hatcher, his delivery with a little bit of twang, and, and not that I can say anything because I got one too, but then Chuck's kind of unknown language occasionally that comes into play. is, And he makes up words like I do, so I'm, I'm completely – Fine with we'll listening to that. But yeah, the whole Russell, I saw the big thing on Westbrook where, you know, was he not in the huddle at the end? And, and people were breaking down. Just, is he in the huddle? Is he out? I'm like, Jim, any Christmas? Like, yes, this is not working. Uh, when we go to ask, uh, look at body language of if he's in the huddle or not, like, let's just calm down. Let's, let, yeah, let's, the let's move with all Russ that,
0: on. All that hashtag this league drama, it, I mean, people start going full Zap Ruder film on guys in the huddle, guys at practice. Did Draymond Green, you know, punch Jordan Poole in kayfabe? Like it was, it was the whole thing just a work to like get people hyped up for a behind-the-scenes docu series? We don't know. I don't care. I, I just why well, I hope.
2: I hope it's that way.
0: I kind of hope it. And you know what? Now that you, yeah, I, I hope. I it wasn't
2: pulling for that to begin with, but now I'm kind of hoping that's what happened. Yeah.
0: Who doesn't? Who doesn't love a good work in pro sports? I mean, when when it happens in a sport that where it's not actually intended to happen, that's like suddenly you just throw you throw in something scripted there, and it's like okay. All right. Um, Speaking of things that are scripted, Bob Costas struggled with promos on TBS all last week, and uh, I think this might have been one of them.
1: SpongeBob lives in a pineapple under the sea. (laughs)
0: Wow. Wow.
2: Is SpongeBob on TBS? Uh, SpongeBob is
0: a Viacom. I don't know if Uh, TBS... No, that's Turner. Turner. That might be separate.
2: I don't know, but uh, um, any Bob... Listen to Bob Costas... Do baseball. just sounds right in general, but he's kind of been relocated to some MLB broadcasts if you don't have the network to pay attention to it. and then he randomly kind of shows up on the playoffs Kind of like at NBC where they hit him like just for the Olympics yep. and playoffs. like literally you it's could just, get no Bob Casas. It's just so
0: over the top with Bob sometimes. like there was a there was like a twelve year old kid on camera leaning over the fence in foul territory while the Yankees are losing and he said, this is the most miserable thing that's happened in that young man's life. And I was just like Wow, that's bold, Bob. Wow. And then Ron Darling's like I think he missed outside with the fastball that time. I just <laughs> trying to go on with the game. <laughs> you know, it's just I do like Ron oh. Darling. That that's a that was a very interesting pair, to say the least. But yes, a lot of causticisms out of uh out of the, the uh A L D S this year. Um Speaking of things that, that cost people things, I would imagine there is a slightly wh- lighter wallet at 2311 Racing right now.
2: Clint's smart enough to know that how easy these cars break, so when you get shoved into the fence, like, deliberately like he did, trying to force me to lift, steering was gone, so just so happened to be there. Um, hate it. Hate it for our team. Um, fast, super fast car. Had no short run speed, as you were seeing. We were kind of falling there. Larson wanted to make a three-wide dive bomb. Never cleared me, and, uh, I don't lift, so I know I'm kind of new to running up the front, but I don't lift, so wasn't even in a spot to lift, and he never lifted either, and now we're junk. So just a piss-poor move on his execution.
0: When situations like this happen, Bubba, at this speed, is retaliation an acceptable thing? Stop fishing. Stop fishing. <laughs> that is, of course, a very heated Bubba yeah. Wallace on Sunday in Las Vegas telling Marty
2: Snyder to uh, Stop fishing.
0: After, uh, you know,
2: uh, he tried to strike with iron's hot. Bubba's mad. Mm-hmm. He went there. I, it's a, it's a, probably a decent follow-up question. You kind of have to ask it because he opened the door. But I uh, uh, respect that Bubba shut it down from there. But Because uh, clearly you knew where that was going to go. Bubba has, of course, been suspended one
0: race by NASCAR for hooking Kyle Larson in the right rear, um, which I don't think is an unfair punishment. But also, why didn't you do that to Noah Gregson at Road America where he caused, like, a 14-car pile-up by hooking Sage Karam? I just... He did the same thing, but at lower speed. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I, w- I would have liked to have seen that happen for Gregson in addition to Wallace. And I think part of the reason might have been that Gregson still had an opportunity to race in the playoffs. And Wallace, of course, has long since been eliminated. So, that's, uh, that's, that's, that, yeah, yeah, and no, that you know, no. my gut says it, that's yeah, part of it.
2: Yeah, if you look, yeah, so if he was still in... The playoffs would they do that that's an interesting they do a points penalty and a fine right right he, he's allowed to race so yeah no I agree I didn't think of it that way um I yeah I feel like some of the things that come into play with punishments at all level is what is you know are we kind of hurting the product on the f- uh, field or track or whatever it is a- and by that I mean numbers you know mm-hmm. viewers sponsorship dollars, the almighty dollars driving that. And since he's really kind of out of that aspect of it, then eh, yeah, we can go ahead and do that.
0: Yeah. John Hunter, check will uh, drive that car this weekend for a 2311 because he's in the Toyota camp. But I mean, I, I thought what, you know, I love Bubba. I'm a big Bubba Wallace fan. Actually. I know a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people aren't for reasons that they, we're not going to get into it. Um, that was dangerous and stupid what he did. And I hope he takes this week to cool his heels and reflect and be better for it. So, I just wish... That, I mean, there have been situations where guys hit other guys intentionally and wrecked other guys intentionally, and I wish those had been punished the same way. And hopefully they will be going forward. Um, yeah. Well, but one last one on Say What, someone that has never failed to produce a great quote.
1: Um, I don't know. I guess in here the other day, I say I overthink things. Sometimes I underthink things. Um, I really... There was not a lot... A lot of times people just send me something and it was the week of that game and someone sent it um, kind of as a joke to me, whatever. So I just tweeted that. That
0: is Lane Kiffin. The Lane train, baby discussing the, uh, the tweet in which he tweeted out a picture of himself in the UT football office hallway. The night he resigned last week during UT Alabama hate week. He is the head coach of a team
2: that is neither UT nor Alabama at this time. He, uh, I, I did enjoy that his mustard bottle
0: <laughs> ma- made
2: an appearance on somebody. Yeah.
0: It was on the back of
2: Savin's head. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> as he was he was taking his headset off to yell and scream, looking down, and there was a the mustard bottle right to look like it had knocked the headset. Off. Well done, whoever did that. It was like I didn't really well think too much about it. I just tweeted it. Yeah, and that's that's sort of that's, that's sort of Lane's deal. I I enjoy <laughs> during Ole Miss's run to the uh World Series, College World Series, and then winning the thing. Yep. Like people had sent a message to him and hammered him on something about obviously his kid's name's Knox, this that another. And, other. and uh, he was like, yeah, well, yeah, he's doing good. And by the way, we're gonna be at the College World Series. Where are you at? <laughs> <Just> <laughs>
0: right. I mean, it was just,
2: he's so good. Um, yes. He is unquestionably the national posting coach of the year. I mean, he just uh, – between him and I don't know – I've got to figure this out, and I should have sent you this, although it's really not a, a say-what type deal. But, you know, we're going to play Miss, uh, Mississippi State Mike Leach. And yeah. Where he there's – they're going to a break, and it's it's his coach's show, and there's, there's video of it. They don't go to a restaurant, I don't think. And so, as they're going to break, there's just a generic bottle of white sauce – uh, you know, for Alabama, Mississippi, white sauce, whatever. Yeah. And so he just randomly squirts some in his hand and like licks it off. Roger going to break. Oh my god! Like just, just, I mean. Oh and I, you know, Lord. they're going to break. So he's kind of taking his headset off. He's not paying attention, but I don't know if he doesn't know he's on camera. Doesn't care. You know, it's between him and Ed Erdogan. Uh You know, when Ed Urge- Orgeron. Or, or yeah, him he too. You said, said Ed Elajewan. Yeah, Ed Ed who Urgeuron or, or, or yeah, yeah, that guy. The,
0: speaks Creole. Ed Orgeron.
2: Yes. When he went on the tangent of chicken on a stick at the Exxon, I don't know if you heard that word. I asked him a question about plane in Mississippi and what's the the thing. That you, you, you know, what what you? What's concerned you, sat another? And he was like, "I'm concerned that the Exxon over there on that the old Exxon over there doesn't have that chicken on a stick." I'm like, <laughs> and I mean, people are just like, "What are you talking about?" I have and,
0: no idea what this is oh. about. Oh,
2: and he he goes off on a tangent on. There's this Exxon somewhere outside of either. Starkville or Oxford or wherever, one of the two Mississippi schools, that it has the best chicken on a stick at an Exxon if you'll, uh, chicken you'll ever have in your life. So it, is it's, like what it's is, his go to. Is it fried chicken? Is it grilled chicken? Is I mean, there's a lot of questions. Uh, does he look like a grilled chicken guy to you? Can I just throw that back I, at you? I mean, if you got enough grilled chicken, yeah. A, big, a lot of,
0: I mean, if you just like, if you just like, you get it and you slather it in like a sweet tangy mm-hmm. sauce or mm-hmm. something, yeah, you can do a little grilled chicken. I mean, Gas station yakitori is the last thing I would expect
2: to find. Is that in like sushi? But... Is
0: that like gas station sushi? Uh, yeah, kinda. Yeah, yakitori is the chicken on a stick, and then they have it in like a there's like a, a tangy sauce. It's like orange, and it's got like a very sweet flavor, sweet sip. So you've had too. that in Mississippi? Is that what you are saying? Uh, you've been no, to that Exxon? I, I've had it in many, many fine Japanese establishments across the country, but I've never had it in Mississippi. Never had it at an Exxon? Is that what you are saying? No, I've never had Exxon gas station yeah. yakitori. Thanks. Good. And I like, would be fascinated and also slightly terrified to see that in a gas station.
2: Yeah, that's that's what we did. That uh, is what we did. I'm all for as many road trips I take, finding good gas station food. Mm-hmm. I think you have to.
0: I think you you in particular have to. That's one thing I'll miss about the Midwest is all the Casey's and Simonsons and all the uh, uh, similar places. Like that.
2: Right, we got to get you in Southwest Virginia to the Sheets. Yeah, here. no doubt.
0: Oh, we got they got Sheets got to Southwest Virginia. Yeah. Okay. So, by um, like going up to the VMI, I, there's several yeah, you can stop. I have no partisan
2: yeah. leaning in the Sheets Wawa debate. So, well, if, you, if you talk to Stephen May, let me tell you where you need to lean. Understood. Right, there could be a fist coming your way. You better be careful. All right, that's a good Wednesday show. Big thanks to David Lilly. Big thanks to uh, Jacob Sailors, uh, Keith and a tirade, and uh, say what all the people that didn't know they're going to be on our uh, podcast today. So thank you for giving us good sound bites and continue to give us bites tomorrow. We'll preview. ETSU, Sanford, homecoming. Fucking your Lord Network!
0: Oh, you gotta be kidding me!